Back up top, shot through traffic, save made, follow-up try, that one hits a body in front, and a score! It's a score! It's a score! And the Ice Bears have a 4-3 lead with 30 seconds remaining in the hockey game! Oh, what a hit! Welcome to the SPHL in Knoxville! Comes in on the right side, through the right circle, taking it and fed across, they score! Welcome in to the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast. My name is Joel Silverberg. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to the KIB podcast, whether you are doing so on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the show. Obviously, a lot to recap. We did not have an episode last week, so we're going to touch base on just a couple of notes from that road trip to Peoria. But obviously, the big stuff happening right now is Knoxville just got finished with another three-game weekend over the course of four days, playing at home Thursday and Saturday, and then heading to Macon for a road game on Sunday. And it sets the stage for another big weekend as Knoxville continues. And a nice stretch here, obviously tough opponents, but they're getting to play this stretch of seven out of eight games at home in what was originally supposed to be a seven-game homestead, and then that Macon game from December got postponed, so it got moved to January 22nd, so the Ice Bears had to make a quick road trip down to Georgia, but now they get to rest for a few days before they host Huntsville on Friday and Saturday, but there's a lot happening with the Ice Bears right now. This was a pretty successful weekend, so we're going to try to get to all of it. It just seems like there's a lot of fun to be had right now when it comes to the SPHL, so... Quickly want to backtrack to what happened at Peoria. Obviously, the Ice Bears got the win on Friday, 6-4. to four. Justin McDonald had a hat trick. The Ice Bears, I thought, did a really nice job at responding whenever they opened up that big lead, and then Peoria started to chip away at it. Knoxville never relinquished its lead. They always stayed in front of Peoria, and I thought that was really important. You saw Colton Fletcher get his first goal since coming back to Knoxville. The Ice Bears were able to close it out and just keep uh, every everything that Peoria was doing at arm's length, Cam Huff has a two-goal performance, which set this spark for this wild run that he has had. The goal streak came to an end on Sunday in that game against Macon, but he did have an assist. So Cam Huff continues to put up points and has done a really nice job from elevating himself. And you, you heard Ryan Devine talk about this during the broadcast on the uh, second intermission report during that Macon game. You know, the guy goes from being a 10th forward and then working between the second and third lines. Then he's solidified on the second line. And then the injury to Dino Balsamo means Huff is being elevated to the first line in the middle of the weekend. And they just continue to produce. And so I love seeing what Cam has been able to do over the last two weeks. And I'm I'm really hoping that he continues to do so because the, the guys in the bus, the, the coaches, the players, they've got a lot of respect for Cam's game. They acknowledge how fast he is, how quick he is, how dangerous his shot is. So to really be able to see all of that coming together, and I think the fans are starting to see it too because it seems like there's a little bit of a, and I don't know how the right way to describe it, but these last couple of home games, whenever Cam Huff has the puck going through the neutral zone into the attacking end, it seems like everybody's just really ready to see something happen, and they should be because he keeps scoring and he keeps scoring from the perimeter so he's not afraid to just let it fly from anywhere and he's finding the net but he's he has shown off some pinpoint accuracy Justin McDonald has continued to just put in points after points after points he had a three-point night on Thursday contributed 
uh, with an assist on Saturday and then had his first four-point game of the season in that win on Sunday. So all of these three-point games that he's had finally has an effort where he gets to the four-point mark. Uh, Dino Balsamo on Thursday had four assists, uh, had a goal disallowed um, on Thursday, which was actually kind of funny because I asked Dino about it because it didn't look like it was an intentional kicking motion. The puck was going through traffic. He was fighting for the net front, and the puck bounced off the back of his skate and went in, and it was waved off. It was ruled to have been an intentional kicking motion. But Dino, it, it was joking. I was joking with him. I was like, it didn't look like an intentional kick. And he's like, no, to be fair, though, I was trying to kick it in. I just couldn't get my foot across the way I wanted to. And then it just bounced off my skate. So it, it's kind of funny that he just did I was trying to, but I didn't. But I, I guess somehow Derek Bame knew what, uh, uh, or I guess Derek Kalise knew what was going on. So kind of a, a funny incident there, but. Uh, a big night for Dino, nonetheless. Then, obviously, on Saturday, gets into a fight, uh, ends up uh, dealing with some upper body soreness, so he was taken out for the rest of that game and then did not make the trip to Macon on Sunday. His status at this time is still unknown as to what will happen for Dino Balsamo coming up this weekend. Uh, getting back to Peoria, so Knoxville gets the win on Friday, and then on Saturday, Knoxville's down 3 to nothing pretty quickly in the second period. They give up two goals in the first three minutes after Peoria had already opened up a one nothing lead. Knoxville battles back. They scrap away two goals with McDonald and Huff. And then Rex Moe scores from the right circle, and the goal is waved off. And then suddenly Justin McDonald's thrown into the penalty box for 10 minutes for a misconduct. What had happened was McDonald was going through the right circle in the Peoria zone. He gets hogtied from behind, pulled down, goes crashing into the boards. So there is no call. So McDonald's frustrated as he's trying to work his way back towards the bench, trying to get a line change. The puck is being moved into the zone, and... There's a loose stick on the ice in front of him, and out of frustration, he kind of shoveled it out of the way and inadvertently, and he admitted he shouldn't have done this, should have been more careful, but he wasn't trying to do this. That stick went over the glass and out of play into the stands, and and nobody was hurt. It, it didn't go out hard or anything, didn't, didn't crash into anybody, but I, it does become a fan safety issue. They don't want you know players throwing pucks or helmets or sticks out of the playing area. And so after the goal was scored, the linesman had gone over to the referee and explained what had happened. And so they retroactively took the goal off the scoreboard and then penalized McDonald. And then obviously that that came with about 12 minutes left to go in the period. We got down to the final three minutes. Knoxville was trying to press because they were still down three to two. They end up giving up two goals. So the final score becomes a 5-2 result. Now, in discussion with the league following this game... What should have happened if the penalty was really that necessary is because it was it was so confusing for Knoxville at the time because Andrew Harrison and Brent Clark did not see the, the stick going out of play because it happened at an angle on the bench and the puck was at the other end, so everybody has their attention turned back to the Knoxville zone. Both teams had changed skaters. And so when Rexmo scores, you know, it's the Conger and Huff line that's out there. You know, Justin McDonald wasn't on the ice anymore, and the goal occurs 18 seconds after the penalty. And so it's not a delayed penalty because the referee, Don Mrozik, never puts up his hand, and he calls it a good goal on the ice. So the linesman goes over to Mrozik and says, hey, I saw this. This needs to be a penalty. After a discussion with the league following the weekend, the league acknowledged what should have happened is one of two things. If, it, if the penalty was really that severe to the point where play needed to be stopped, 
and typically linesmen don't call penalties, then the linesmen should have blown the whistle immediately. That wasn't the situation, so the linesmen didn't blow the whistle. Since the linemen did not blow the whistle, the goal should have stood, and then the penalty should have been enforced because Knoxville possessed the puck in its own end, carried it through the neutral zone, fired a shot on net that went wide, hit the back end wall, bounced out to the perimeter, and then Rex Moe's shot bounced off of Jordan Ernst's stick and into the net. So, uh, you know, a full sequence of events takes place, and there's just so much confusion that Knoxville doesn't understand what's happening because it didn't get explained until after the fact. And then uh, over the PA system and on the broadcast, I wasn't able to be made aware because when they announced on the PA, as soon as the announcer says no goal, the fans just go crazy because ultimately, let's face it, that's all they care about. And if the same, if the reverse thing had happened in Knoxville, as soon as J.P. Mackey or Mark Atnip says no goal, fans start cheering. They don't care why. And, and why should you? All you care about is that, hey, y- your team is in a better position. So it's a... Uh, it, it's just a matter of, you know, hey, we're all excited. The other team didn't score. That That's great. So I was getting the report from Dave Aminian, who's been covering the Peoria Riverman for the Peoria Journal Star uh, for a very long time. Um, and he gave the report that the goal had been waved off because McDonald had shoveled a stick into the stand. So um, it, it was inadvertent. It was an accident. McDonald was remorseful after and said, you know, it shouldn't have done it. Um, should have been more careful. And, you know, a couple of the other guys were kind of joking about it because, you you know, typically if you try to shovel a stick to a teammate after they drop it, you try to give the goalie a stick back. Sometimes you have to be careful because those sticks, they, they come off one another pretty heavy. And, and so they, they, they're a little lighter sometimes than you really anticipate. So, um, and I think the league kind of acknowledged that as well, which is why McDonald wasn't suspended for the Sunday game or for anything following that. And obviously it, it was not... The reason that they penalize players for ejecting things intentionally into the stands is because it's a fan safety issue. But since there was not a there wasn't any imminent danger to any fans during this particular incident, I think they just wanted to call it a wash. Um, And and so the league kind of acknowledged that goal should have stood. Um, It should have been a three, three game. Doesn't guarantee that Knoxville would have won. Doesn't guarantee that Knoxville would have gone to overtime. But I think obviously a frustrating situation to have. A, a potential game tying goal taken off the board, especially after you were down three nothing. A lot of momentum would have been in Knoxville's favor at that point, and then Knoxville forced to have to take bad angles and try to press in the final three minutes when they give up goals there late. And then on Sunday, Knoxville ahead two to nothing, gave up the two goal lead with a couple of power play goals for Peoria, and then towards the end of the second period, Nolan Slahetka was called for slew footing, and he was given a match penalty, which also resulted in a five minute major power play. For the Rivermen. And looking at the reverse angle on the replay at Carver Arena, it really looks like a shoulder-to-shoulder charge for Slatka. And maybe the skates get tied up a little bit, but it is not a blatant slew foot. And so the league also gave the Ice Bears a statement regarding that, and the league said there should not have been a match penalty given. Uh, Now, the league did say it should have been a two-minute minor, so I guess the league saw something that they didn't like about the hit. Um... I, I, I still I don't even know if I would have seen that. But in that situation, if you recall what happened, uh, Joseph Drapluck committed a two-minute minor during the course of that five-minute major. So after Knoxville killed off a little bit of time on the five-minute major, there was then two minutes of four-on-four, four, and then Peoria goes back on the power play. So that two-minute minor was consumed in its entirety while Knoxville was still skating with only four guys. 
And then with eight seconds remaining on the five-minute major, Peoria scores to take a 3-2 lead. Now, if Slahetka had only been called for a two-minute minor, A, he would have been allowed to remain in the game. So that was the one big thing. And, and Slahetka had arguably been Knoxville's best defenseman that weekend. I mean, he had a, a, it was his first weekend back from the IR. He had been on injured reserve for three weeks. He seemed like he was ready to go. He had played well. He contributed offensively. You know, it was a very important uh, weekend for him personally because he grew up about two hours away from Peoria. He had a lot of family in town for this game. So, A, he's in there. Knoxville's not having to skate with 5D. But also, Knoxville would not have been on the penalty kill at the time when the goal was scored. And Knoxville actually would have gotten a power play, an abbreviated power play, but they would have had a slight power play because Slahetka's two-minute minor would have expired before Draplock's two-minute minor. So... It's just, instead of now being down and being upset about getting slighted on a call, and I think this is the area where I have a little bit of a less problem with the officiating and more problem with Knoxville's response. I think Knoxville allowed that adversity early in the third period to spiral in the wrong direction, and I thought it led to more bad penalties that were unnecessary, and then it leads to another power play goal, and then suddenly, before you know it, Knoxville loses 6-2 to two in a game that was tied at the beginning of the third period. And so, again, it's an adverse situation. The league acknowledged their mistake, but I think Sunday you can't really blame it on the officials as much because even after that power play goal, Knoxville still had 16, 17 minutes to try to find a game-time goal, and instead things just continue to go in the opposite direction. I believe in momentum, but I, I also think I believe in a, in a team needing to learn how to be resilient and to come back from that. So I think we saw a tale of two different incidents on those Saturday and Sunday games. Now, transitioning into this recent three-game weekend. Obviously, a lot of frustration coming from those Peoria losses, but there were some things that Knoxville took away from them. I thought Knoxville played really disciplined hockey on Thursday. Fayetteville only had two power plays. They scored on the first one. If you listen to Christian Stead's intermission interview for the game on Saturday night against Evansville, he acknowledged, look, I saw Brian Bowen with the puck up top. He loves to shoot the puck. I keyed in on him too much. He made a great pass to the left circle, and the one-timer beat me to the short side post. And that, and you got to credit Stead because he's doing his homework. He's doing the scouting report. He sees Brian Bowen, one of Fayetteville's best players this season, one of the league's top goal scorers. He's got the puck. There's not really much of a screen there getting into, you know, kind of creeping in towards the high slot where he could potentially score. And he gets Stead to lock in on him. And so it's, it's kind of an interesting chess match. So you kind of have to tip your cap to Bowen as well. And then instead he slips it to the left side and get and, and granted Austin Alder, he's no slouch himself. So Puts up a nice one-timer. Thought maybe Stead got his stick caught on the post so his blocker couldn't get across. That's just a tough play there. And and Fayetteville executed, so not much that you can really do about that. But uh, Fayetteville converts on one of its two power play opportunities. But Knoxville stayed out of the box. And that was a really, really big deal, I thought, for Knoxville instead of the way that things escalated from that Peoria game on Sunday. Knoxville went one for three on the power play. Jagger Williamson had a big night, two goals. That one-timer was sweet. I was so happy to see him uh, knock that through after McDonald made a nice pass to the right hash uh, on the inner edge of that circle there. So uh, a good start for Knoxville. And then after Fayetteville got the two back-to-back goals with Alger and Glover, who Glover's had a phenomenal season himself, Knoxville really didn't seem like the momentum got away from them. It was like, okay, Fayetteville had 57 good seconds of hockey 
now we're going to take momentum back. Because outside of that one minute, Fayetteville was a very frustrated team in the attacking end. Passes couldn't get through the neutral zone. They couldn't get through the slot. Knoxville's neutral zone trap was working really well. You saw Ryan Devine taking less physical tactics and and kind of sitting back in the circle, taking away the slot. And I think I know that, you know, when you have a guy like Devine and he kind of acknowledged he's been having trouble keeping his emotions out of it. He said that during his intermission interview for the game against Macon on Sunday. But when Devine is sitting back and playing positional defense and playing more in a zone, he really does have one of the best active sticks in the D zone on this Knoxville team. And a lot of that comes with being a former soccer goalie and a former tennis player because you're seeing those reflexes and that hand-eye coordination really come into play. And so, yeah, he's a frustrating player to play against for, you know, the, the way that he can antagonize opponents and he tries to start fights and, and things of that nature. And he can be a very physical player. And he's got to understand that, you know, with, with as long as he's been in the league, a bunch of these refs know a little bit about who he is. But it's also frustrating because he's a big body defenseman that has really good hand-eye coordination, which means if he's taken away your passing lane on a two-on-one, you need to try to shoot the puck because you're not getting that pass through him. And Fayetteville just seemed incredibly frustrated um, throughout the course of that game on on Thursday. And Knoxville came away with a big third period. Um, Williamson obviously got the late second period goal to make it three to two. Uh, great, great job by him jumping that breakout pass, cut it off right at the blue line, fought it off in the high slot, and then put the puck underneath Pulaski. Um, who, who at times has given Knoxville fits over the course of his career since he left Knoxville. He's been a tough goalie to solve for the Ice Bears. And, you, you know, Knoxville, I thought, did a really good job of just setting up the offensive attack. And then Bailey Conger continuing his offensive success, gets a power play goal. Justin McDonald doing Justin McDonald things to cap off the scoring with a 5-2 game. Um, I, I So I thought it was impressive the way that Knoxville battled back, uh, or not necessarily battled back, but fought off. Uh, a, a rough one-minute stretch there in the second period, and the Knoxville took control of the rest of the game. Uh, the Evansville game on Saturday I thought was a little bit different. Evansville scored early and uh, two goals in the first five minutes. Dino Balsamo scoring in between those two goals. So Evansville jumps ahead, Balsamo ties it, then Evansville gets the lead back again, and we're not even five minutes into the hockey game. And uh, a sidebar, if you didn't hear me mention it on the broadcast or if you weren't at the game on Saturday, that was Balsamo's 50th career goal in the SPHL. So congrats to him on a great milestone. That was awesome to see him get that. Uh, so Andrew Schufelt scores off a one-timer from the right circle that I don't think he hit it very well. And I think Stead is expecting that puck to come high. And so because of that, that puck stays on the ice and just slips underneath Stead's left leg pad. So kind of like an awkward, unfortunate bounce that just benefits the shooter in that situation. So, you know, one that Stead might like to have back because I didn't think it was the hardest one-timer. wasn't as impressed with that one as Alger shot the two nights before. And then uh, kind of a defensive miscue. Knoxville had the puck dumped into the zone. It was uh, There were two defensemen back there. The puck was misplayed in the slot. And then uh, Brandon Harrogate comes over and takes into the left circle and puts a backhand behind Stead. And I don't think he was happy about that one either. So... Uh, but after that, Stead was really solid in net. He stopped the final 23 shots that he faced. And even when Knoxville was trailing throughout the first half of regulation, because they didn't tie the game until the final five minutes of the second when Cameron Huff scored again. But I, I thought Knoxville was playing like the better team. And 
I talked to Andrew Harrison before the game on Sunday, Knoxville's assistant coach, and he said, you know, we felt like Stead wasn't going to let another one in the rest of the night, and he didn't. And I think the team was confident based on the way they were playing that they were just eventually going to find a way to get one past Zane Steves. Cameron Huff did. That was uh, some great puck work, too. Rasmus Waxen-Engback takes advantage of the play in transition when Brett Beauvais gets the puck free, puts it into the neutral zone. Waxen-Engback takes it into the right circle. Sometimes you like to see him drive to the net. Sometimes he'll take it behind the net looking for that finesse pass. Instead, he stops, sees Cameron Huff coming in through the neutral zone, and just feeds him the puck in the slot. And if if Cameron Huff is having success scoring from the perimeter and scoring from the circle, you do not want him in the slot with the puck if you are an opposing goalie. And the, the release was so quick. Steve's really had no chance on that play. And so I uh, was happy to see Wax and Engback with a big, uh, a big night on Saturday. He had two assists on that night. I know he hasn't had the offensive numbers that fans were used to enjoying from him last year, but you know, he's still a strong skater who's really done a great job at anchoring that third line and, and trying to keep it steady for Knoxville. And was glad to see him have a pretty big weekend. He had three points in three games. And so really happy for Wax after, you know, dealing with the injury late last season and then being banged up for a portion of this year already. So happy to see him have a nice offensive showing. Uh, Rourke Russell, uh, what a way to get your first goal right. Power play goal late in the third period where he, he just fires it in from towards the top of the right circle. Uh, ultimately gives Knoxville the lead for good. And then Nick Price, just a hardworking effort. Waxen Engback uh, intercepts a cross-ice pass in the neutral zone. Nice little chip pass ahead to the left side for Price. And he just beats his man to the crease and puts it by the blocker of Steves. And so that that's a, that's a nice, hard-fought win. And the guys felt really good about those wins on Thursday and Saturday. I was happy to see how Knoxville responded when there were there were short stretches where Knoxville didn't play well and they didn't let that spiral. And in some of these recent games against Roanoke, against Huntsville, that really hasn't been the case against Peoria, where if Knoxville has a bad stretch, that, that ends up deciding the game, where that five to 10 minute bad stretch is catastrophic. Even though you've got 50 to 55 minutes uh, left of hockey remaining, and instead, in, in these two particular instances, Knoxville was like, okay, we're going to minimize the damage, we're going to contain it, and now we're going to get back to doing the things that made us successful. I thought Knoxville did that in both those games. And then Sunday's game was uh, bonkers. I don't, I don't really know any other way to, to say it. That was uh, quite chaotic with what happened. Uh, and, and again, the second time this season, Knoxville goes to Macon, special teams are a bit of a problem. The, next, the last time the Ice Bears went to Georgia, Macon went 0-5 for 5 on the power play, but they had two shorthanded goals. So it's just a really bizarre sequence of what happened here. Knoxville opens up an early 2-0 lead. And I think everybody was expecting, hey, Macon, they were down 3-0 to Pensacola the night before. They didn't quit. They ended up losing 4-3. They're battling teams. They're not going away. Uh, you know, you've got a guy like Caleb Cameron who's been in this league for a long time. He's not going to give up on plays. You know, they just got rid of both their goalies. They are Nick Niedert's going to do everything he can to get his team to win. And then suddenly, you know, it's a 2-0 lead. And uh, Macon gets a power play in the middle of the second period. Jacob Radcliffe capitalizes on it very early. Suddenly, Macon's back in the game. And then just when Cole McKechnie scores to make it 3-1, to one, and you think, oh, okay, Knoxville's going to go into the second period, the second intermission with a two-goal lead. Suddenly, it's tied just over three minutes later because you've got Macon just converting on opportunities in transition. There was a busted-up play in the zone that led to Devin Brink having a one-timer from the left circle that nobody was ready for. And, and so inability to break out. It's cost Knoxville before. It cost Knoxville a lot. 
in this game against Macon. Fortunately, not to the point where Knoxville forfeited the two points, but uh, there were some things that I, I would imagine that Brent Clark was not happy about. And then in the third period, Knoxville does a great job of responding. They take advantage of two early power plays. Conger gets his second in the night. Mo gets his second in the night. Cam Huff, Justin McDonald are contributing in the assist column. And But then suddenly, penalties start to pile up, and Knoxville takes a penalty, and Macon converts on a five-on-three. And then Colton Fletcher gets called for tripping Matt Stoya. And I, I said this on the broadcast. I'll say it again. Look, I'm, I normally don't deny certain penalties, but I thought Stoya got away with a lot of embellishment on this one. And I'm not even sure if Fletcher actually tripped him. It, to me, it really looked like Fletcher went for the puck, got Stoya's stick, and then Stoya took a dive. And what ends up happening is Sean Hoppy calls a tripping minor. There's no embellishment penalty. And then Macon scores in the ensuing power play. And so not, not crazy about the way that that sequence kind of developed, but you also can't let a team like Macon go three for five on the power play because that's how you blow points against a team that is kind of down on its luck this season. And, they, and, that, and here's the thing. Look, I'm not trying to rip on teams like Macon and Vermillion County, but those two teams have a combined eight wins through a combined 56 games played this season. And so every time you get to play one of those teams, look, you have to be ready because they, they're – they're just treating every game like it's a target on their back. And you saw Macon, all the emotion going into this game. Like when they scored to make it five to four, they're still trailing in the third period, but they're acting like this game means a lot to them. And that's how this team plays. And that's a credit to Dick Nieder, Macon's head coach, for getting them ready to do that. And, and then they, you know, fight and they draw another penalty and then they take advantage of that as well. And so Macon didn't go away throughout the entire night. I mean, they erased a two goal deficit twice in that game and tied the game on two separate occasions. But I, I also think that you have to understand the opportunity that you have if you're a team like Knoxville or like Quad City going up against Vermillion County earlier in the weekend or Evansville when they went to Danville on Friday. It is an opportunity for you to pick up two points at a time where the standings are so razor thin because right now you've got Peoria in first place with 44 points and just six points back, you have Evansville with 38 in sixth place. So you've got the top six teams in the league separated by three games. That That's all it is. And so you, you get a hot streak or a cold stretch or you suddenly have an injury and, and now you're not getting the offensive production and suddenly your standing can change at the drop of a hat. I mean, Fayetteville went from getting up to fifth, sixth place, having an opportunity to get to fifth place if it had beaten Knoxville on Thursday now they're sitting in eighth, and from a point percentage standpoint, they are behind Pensacola. So it's this whole system of just any any season can change so quickly. Quad City was in first place for the majority of the first two months of the season. If the season ended today, they missed the playoffs. Think about how crazy that is. Quad City is having trouble scrapping together wins after they spent the first six weeks of the season atop the standings, I know what you know. You could say about them. Well, they got to play Quad City a bunch of times. Look, they had a win over Peoria. It's, it's not like they were terrible. It's not like they were just beating up on bad teams. You know, they had some quality wins, and then they went and you know got swept by Fayetteville, and you know now they're down on their luck and struggling to beat Peoria and struggling to beat Evansville, and you know suddenly now they're out of the playoff picture entirely and that can change there's still enough hockey to be played but it just goes to show where you can be at one point in the season compared to where you could be at 
at another point. And, I mean, hey, look at Fayetteville. They they won six games in a row. Now they've lost five straight. And it and that all that's kind of happened in the course of a week and a half where Fayetteville's won six in a row. They're beating up on good teams. And then they go to Roanoke and they give Roanoke all they can handle and they lose three to two in both games. Then they come to Knoxville and they play this great second period of hockey, tie the game at two, and then give up a go-ahead goal with less than two minutes to play and end up falling in the third period. And then they have two games against Huntsville where they're leading in the third period of both games and they drop both in regulation. So it's not like Fayetteville just got blown out in five consecutive games. They were in all five of those games. And I'm sure Corey Melkert's telling his team, guys, we could have an 11-game win streak right now. That That's not out of the question. But at, at the very least, you think you should split those games. And instead, you lost all five of them. And so it just goes to show one through nine right now is so wide open. But 10 and 11, the gap is a lot closer. D- despite what you're looking at with the standings, I realize Macon is 20 points behind Quad City. So, I, you know, I'm not talking about that there's going to be a playoff push here from Macon and Vermillion County the second half of the season. But you're, you saw Vermillion County give Evansville all they could handle on Friday night. And if it wasn't for Brett Epp just totally leaving his crease to go grab his stick, not knowing that Evansville had the puck in transition in the neutral zone, then maybe Vermilion County wins that game because they overcame an early two-goal deficit, were down by two twice, erased both deficits, scored with less than five minutes left to go in the game to force overtime, and then just a, a weird blunder by Vermilion County's goalie gave Evansville the win. And then Macon two hard-fought games against Pensacola, and then gave Knoxville way more than it wanted. So it just really puts into perspective how how difficult these games can be and how valuable all those points are. So, yes, Knoxville did not have its best stuff on Sunday. Talking to some of the guys afterwards, they were just like, uh, that was a roller coaster. Like They, they didn't seem fired up after a 6-5 win over Macon. And that's not necessarily a knock on Macon, but I think with the way that Knoxville played for the majority of the game – and the offensive success that they had, I think they were kind of frustrated with their lack of efficiency on the penalty kill. I saw Andrew Harrison after the game. He was like, well, how'd you like calling that roller coaster?" I was like, it was fun to call, but I feel like there are some things that you and Clarky aren't happy about. He's like, well, I'll tell you what, it was a lot more fun for you to call than it was for, for us to coach. And at the end of the day, look, don't apologize for a win. You take the two points. Yes, it was Knoxville's second game in less than 24 hours. That has something to do with it. And now you get to hit the reset button. So those games can be tough. And if you remember when Knoxville had to play Macon on back-to-back nights last year, Macon got the overtime win over the Ice Bears to end that eight-game win streak. So, you know, these teams, Macon and Vermillion County, the way that they're playing right now, they're going to start beating teams that they shouldn't. I I don't think you're going to end up with, you know, obviously, look, it's not great. Again, we're talking about two teams that have four wins each. But I think you are going to see a little bit more fight. And I know what happened with Vermilion County on Saturday against Quad City. They lost 9-1. to But that's not necessarily going to be the case every night. And last season, it felt like that was the case a lot for those two teams. And now there's more competitive games, and so you've got to be a little bit more careful when it comes to just sleepwalking into games in Danville and Macon, thinking that you're just going to walk out of there with a win, and that hasn't been the case. And so after... Uh, Caleb Cameron scored to make it 5-5, to and it was a big night for Cameron. They were honoring him. It was his 213th game. He has spent his entire SPHL career with the Macon Mayhem. Uh, he is now the franchise's all-time leader in games played. So for Cameron, it was an emotional night for him. He was contributing offensively to kind of help get Macon back in that game. Scores the game-tying goal, and then uh, Justin McDonald 
gets set up with a one-timer from the right side, uh, hit the pad of Jeremy Forget. He never trapped it. The puck got away from him, didn't know where it was. Huff and Williamson are coming in to crash the crease, which is what they should be doing. And Forget trying to turtle to cover the puck, inadvertently kicks it into his own net. So uh, McDonald, it's a four-point night for him. Cameron Huff gets an assist, so he continues his point streak. Rex Moe, big day for him. Two goals and an assist. Um, you know, kind of got robbed of what should have been a slashing penalty against Kristaps Nemanis in the Evansville game. He's sitting on the back door. Balsamo makes an unbelievable backdoor, uh, backdoor step pass to him. And Nemanis has already slashed Moe's stick in half, so the ref naturally doesn't see it. But when... The puck hits Moe's stick. And then this is the thing that's like the biggest telling point about it. This pass hits Moe's stick right on the tape. If if Moe's stick isn't broken, he is scoring a goal here because Zane Steves is not in position to make a save. And instead, the puck just goes right through his stick. And that's not how sticks break. Sticks break because they get slashed. Nemanis had slashed his stick. It's an unfortunate break for Moe. So happen to see him, A, get a backdoor pass from Justin McDonald to set up a goal, so a little bit of poetic justice there the following night. But B, just a three-point night, solid night for him. Uh, had a big goal uh, in the third period to help Knoxville stick with it, extend the lead to 5-3, to three, a nice little redirect with Cam Huff's shot from the left circle. And so Knoxville did what it needed to do offensively, and it wasn't pretty, but they got the job done. And there have been other teams in this league where they haven't been able to say that, where, hey, it wasn't pretty, and it came back to bite you. And so that's where you see... Teams have to separate themselves. And so it was really nice to see Knoxville take advantage of that and end the weekend with a three-game win streak. And now it sets the stage for two big games against Huntsville. Huntsville, by the way, lost to Evansville 3-1 to on Sunday. So Huntsville has to come to Knoxville, where the Ice Bears have won three in a row at home. And now if Knoxville can continue the success that it had back on January 7th when it last played the Havoc, Knoxville's in a position where it could jump Huntsville in the league standings because they're only three points behind. And so, and this is the second time this season that Knoxville's had the opportunity to do this. And of course, it it didn't go Knoxville's way last time, but an opportunity to climb the standings again as things continue to start to heat up and more big games. Friday's a huge day in the SPHL. Fayetteville's got to take on Peoria, but that game's going to be played at Crown. Can Fayetteville get some of that competitive fire back and try to give Peoria some problems. Peoria, they had their hands full with Vermilion County. They were down 2 to nothing in the second period, and then the offense started to click, and they ran away with it on Sunday. You know, Again, Huntsville's coming to Knoxville for two games. Birmingham's going to take on Quad City. That game's not a guarantee. Evansville gets Macon. Roanoke has to go to Pensacola. The Bay Center, a tough place to play. And then on Saturday, you see things uh, pretty much stay the same. It's the same slate of games. And then Sunday, Peoria and Fayetteville will continue to play through the weekend. Same with Roanoke and, and Pensacola. So, um, or Roanoke will actually return the favor and head back to the Berglund Center and take on Pensacola the following weekend. So you're getting the same matchups throughout the week for what's coming up this Friday through Sunday. But still, big games with a, a lot of points on the line. And we could see a shakeup in the standings this week if certain games fall in a certain direction. So I appreciate you checking out the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast. Uh, again, to kind of recap, uh, Justin McDonald, eight points in three games. Really solid night for him. Christian Stead, great to have him back in net. Maybe a little bit tired on Sunday. A couple of goals you could see his reaction after that he really wasn't happy about uh, for that Macon game. But I think for coming back after a three-week stint on the IR from a lower body injury, 
you know, plays three games in four days, picks up three wins. Overall, I think you're happy about that, especially with his performances on Thursday and Sunday. Um, and and so we'll see how he rests up and and what Brett Clark try uh, decides to do ultimately for this upcoming weekend for Friday and Saturday against Huntsville. Um, you know, Rexmo with a big uh, weekend. Cam Huff continuing to do what he's doing, and then you saw Rourke Russell uh, five points in three games as he makes his Ice Bears debut this week including three assists against his former team and a game-winning goal against Evansville on Saturday night. So uh, really happy to have Rourke Russell coming in uh, to the Ice Bears organization. He seems to be really happy about it. has family in East Tennessee, so it uh, really works out for him personally as well. And then for this Friday and Saturday, Friday is Ink in the Rink night, so it's another specialty jersey. Um, So be sure to check those out when they hit the social media platforms. And then for Saturday, it is the... Fan Bear Expo. So the Expo starts at 2 o'clock in the ballroom up on the third floor of the Coliseum above the team store. Your game ticket is your admission to the Expo. And so you can show up as early as 2 o'clock. It's going to be a card show in there. You can get trading cards graded. If you have anything that you want to get checked out, um, you can buy, trade. There's going to be a lot of vendors there. And then from 4 to 6, Sean Weiss, the actor who played Goldberg the goalie in the Mighty Ducks movies, is going to be signing autographs. Um, the autographs are free, and then uh, we are going to be, uh, he's actually going to be signing some Goldberg Mighty Ducks jerseys as well. So uh, we're going to have a few of those um, up for either, we're either going to sell them or we're going to have them available for auction. They're still figuring that out, but there's an opportunity for you, the fans, to get your hands on a Mighty Ducks Goldberg jersey uh, signed by Sean Weiss himself. So uh, really cool opportunities coming up this weekend and want to wish a huge thank you to ice bear nation you guys showed out in a big way on saturday night our second sellout of the season and we're already looking at two more um if you are wanting to get in under the wire for either fight night or wiener dog races coming up next month tickets for both of those games are going fast um if fight night especially uh obviously wiener dog race is always a sellout every year in february but uh fight night those tickets are going quickly and so you, you might want to pay attention to that. we got Star Wars night coming up at the beginning of February. So um, our attendance numbers are significantly higher than they were last year. And last year they were solid, um, especially considering that that was the year coming off the, the COVID year. And I know there was still a, a mask mandate at the beginning of last season. I know there were some fans that, you know, weren't wanting to come as a result of that. But um, what I thought was interesting was how this season fans have just been so excited about coming back to the games from opening night, having a great crowd there. Um, You know, our our players have noticed it and they get fired up playing in front of a sold out crowd. So thank you to the fans because you guys have been phenomenal all season long. Our numbers have been crazy. You guys have been, uh, you know, really supporting the team, especially like merchandise sales have been great. And so this is the stuff that keeps an organization running and that is not lost on us. Um, it gets brought up in our staff meetings every week. Mike Murray and Dave Feather, our GM and um, our vice president, have been you know emphasizing to the rest of the staff guys like our you know our fans are so important for what we do. So thank you on behalf of the Knoxville Ice Bears organization um, to the you the fans for everything that you've done to help support the team this year because it's been awesome. It, it seems like every home game has just been a crazy environment. And we still have some of our biggest promotions of the season left on the table. I mean, I think RC Racing Night was close to a sellout last year. We still have that coming up. You know, we've got some of the mainstays, Country Night. I mentioned Star Wars Night. SpongeBob Night is coming back. So 
th- there's so much fun to be had the rest of the year. It, you guys keep showing up, and you know, I know that our season ticket numbers are at an all-time high, but you guys keep doing what you're doing, and I, I think these players are going to continue to respond because we our last two Saturday night home games have been sellouts, and you guys have been rock solid up in the stands making noise, and it's it has been great. Um, there have been times where I have really struggled to hear PA announcements through the crowd mic because um, you guys are really loud, and that's a good problem to have. But just wanted to thank Ice Bears Nation because this has been a very cool season in terms of really showcasing uh, on another level. I mean, uh, opposing players always talk about how difficult it is to play in Knoxville. Man, it, you guys are making it even harder this season. So uh, very excited for what the Ice Bears fans have done this year. So thank you again on behalf of the Knoxville Ice Bears organization. I'm Joel Silberg. This has been the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast. Subscribe, follow, like, however you get your podcast. Apple, Google, Spotify. Be sure to tell an SPHL fan you know about the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast as well. We'll have another episode for you next week. Games Friday and Saturday on 105.1 WKCE, which you can listen to through the Knoxville Ice Bears game day app. A lot of fun to be had this upcoming weekend with games Friday and Saturday. We will see you there. Thank you for listening to the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast. We'll do it again next week.